The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Peck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Thank you for having us on on another Thursday. And holy moly, crazy weekend ahead of us in the world of combat sports coming up. We had UFC London this past weekend. And I just realized that I'm not talking to anybody right now because it was on private. But hopefully people are hopping in now the hell's going on here but, uh, <laughs> we're doing great i just looked i'm like i'm like why what the hell is going on here why is nobody here and then i realized the thing was set to private what a dummy but hopefully we're good to go now uh we'll discuss a lot ufc 291 some boxing bellator versus ryzen there's a whole bunch going on but it's two-man booth today everyone has a million things going on so i couldn't get a an opponent for this man but luckily he is old reliable doesn't need opponents, can just go by the seat of his pants. He's here to join us to break us, break all the stuff down. Mr. No Gray Area, co-host of No Bets Bard. Lots of bets this weekend, I believe. He's from yeah. MMAfighting.com. I believe it's a terrific website. Mr. Jed Mishu, how are you, buddy? You are absolutely correct. It is a terrific website, Mike. You should go there and check it out. In particular, the wonderful Stephen Morocco dropped a new thing he's been working on for like a year today. It's how to judge an MMA fight. All of you losers who don't know what the hell you're doing, get in there, take the quiz, figure it out. I may or may not be speaking to some people who actively work for the commentary teams of the UFC who could use this as a as a way to learn some things. I learned some things. It's it's a great thing. Go enrich your life, better yourself, as the kids say. Yes, we're not talking about Laura Sanko because she knows what she's talking about all the time when it comes to these guys. She does a terrific job with the, the rules thing and is, how to score fights. Here's the thing is I could even give you their initials 
and whoever you thought those initials <laughs> belonged to, you would be correct. <laughs> I think there's you, you could use the same initials for initials two people. DC isn't very good at judging. <laughs> Who could it be? Trick question. Both. Both need this. Yes, take the quiz and enhance your judging prowess. But a lot to get to. Obviously, we'll talk a lot about UFC 291. There's a lot of fascinating things going on with that card. UFC London was not very fascinating on paper. This is not a great card. This is kind of a tough one to watch from start to finish. But the last three or four fights give us a lot to talk about. But your man, Tommy Aspinall, Jed Mishu, steals the show. As expected, he just goes out and just dump trucks Marching Tybor. It took him 73 whole seconds. He gets the big pop. Great call out of the Cyril Gunn, Sergey Spivak winner for Paris. And then he turned his attention to John Jones, who responded not long after. So, Jed, the result was not all that surprising. Not a lot of people were picking Tybora. And not a lot of people were picking Tybor to even get out of the first round with Tom Aspinall. So the matchmaking was perfect for that moment and how it all played out. But I guess, what did you take away from this win from Tommy Aspinall? What did you learn the most? Did anything surprise you at all from his performance? I didn't think it'd be as quick uh, just because I thought he might, you know, he's coming off a fairly major knee injury. I thought he might take a minute to sort of get himself back up to rhythm, back up to speed. And, you know, Marcin Tabura is not like uh, a legendary chin or anything, but he's pretty durable. And Aspinall just, I mean, this was over from the time the first bell sounded, basically. Uh, it's weird. Heavyweight's a weird division, man. Um, it's particularly the last few years where, like, you don't have a lot to go on if you're breaking fights down and, like, like just reflexively, you sort of have to say, well, Tom Aspinall is going to be a future champion because he's young enough and he keeps beating the hell out of everybody he faces. So that probably adds up. But it's the same sort of thing we've had Francis Ngannou, same issue we're having with Sergei Pavlovich right now and to a lesser extent, Jelton Almeida. They're just running over. Like there's such a clear stratification of of quality in this division where there are like maybe six guys who are really good. And then ev then there's, you know, the rest of the people. And they the guys who are really good when they announce themselves, they're just kind of running through people. And so it's like when Francis Ngannou fought for heavyweight title, like the first time he fought Stipe, we didn't know shit about him. We knew nothing because he's just been ethering everybody in the first like two minutes of every fight. And so it's like, I know that he punches real hard and maybe that's it. Maybe that's all you need to know. And then he lost to Stipe and we're like, oh, well, now we learned a thing. And then he went right back to doing the same thing. And we're like, well, we still really don't know anything about this dude because he keeps just clobbering guys. Sergey Pavlovich is doing the same way. Sergey Pavlovich could be the best heavyweight in the world. Or he could just not have a ground game at all. We really have no idea. And it's feel the same with Tom Aspinall. Like, I don't know what to make of him other than that he is very clearly one of the elite guys. But is he one? Is he seven? Like, I don't know where he falls in that because there's just been no resistance to anything he has done in the cage and i mean that's a credit to him certainly but it it does make heavyweight a very very weird division because how the hell do you handicap uh a tom aspinall versus sergey pavlovich fight or a tom aspinall versus jailton almeida fight who knows what could like we know what the two likely outcomes are but how likely is each outcome 
Who can say? Heavyweight is a mystery, and it kind of makes it fun. And I'm very excited Tom Aspinall is back in, in the mix. Yeah, it was a great performance for him. The card needed it. The crowd Terrific needed it. Terrific call out. Yeah, I thought Terrific it was, it was well done. By the way, because most people just be like, "John Jones, I'm coming," and set the path. He just laid up. Yeah, he laid out the path. It's it's he laid out seeds on the path to John Jones. And what's great about that is Tommy Aspinall, even though he defeated Marcin Tybora, he did something that Jelton Almeida or Sergey Pavlovich has not been able to do. He got John Jones's attention immediately, which is a big thing considering the narrative that John put out there himself heading into the Stipe Miocic fight in November that I'm going to beat Stipe and then I'm going to walk away. And I know you don't necessarily think that's the case because the heavyweight title record and heavyweight title wins, that record is not far away for John Jones after he beat Stipe. But how would you grade the, I'll, I'll throw like a, a, I'll throw out a time frame for you. How would you grade the chances of Aspinall getting in the octagon with John Jones? Let's say, December 2024. Very high. I, I, I've been saying it from jump. I don't think John's retiring. And I am I think I have increasingly become in the minority of this, but I, he's too petty uh, like to retire to just like do that. He needs this too much. It's too much of his identity uh, at stages. And like I, he certainly wouldn't retire. He might vacate the belt or whatever, but then it'll be a Henry Cejudo vacation where it's like, all right, well, I'm not the champ, but as every time people fight, I'll be like, yeah, so BT dubs, I'm still the baddest dude in the planet or whatever. And I could win if I only wanted to. So I think there's a really high likelihood he ends up fighting Tom Aspinall next year. Maybe he steps aside after the Stipe thing, but I really just not sure. Like I, I, if I'm John Jones and I look at this, I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm he's gonna truck Stepe because I don't know why we're pretending like this is a, a fight. Like it, it's it's simply not. Stepe's old, hasn't looked good in years, hasn't fought in years, and even when he had was fighting against a a less good version of DC, didn't particularly blow the doors off people. He's gonna get trounced. This is not like he's gonna beat that, and he's gonna look around and be like, Sergey Pavlovich can hit real hard, but. All I have to do is tackle him and the fight's over. Okay, and I, I think there's a really good chance we get Tommy Aspinall uh, versus John Jones for the heavyweight belt at the end of next year. And maybe that ends up being the fight that, you know, John gets to tie the heavyweight title defense record because he fights Sergey, And then, then he only needs one more. He beats Stipe. He needs two more wins to tie the heavyweight record in the UFC. So I think there's a really good chance. Yeah, I... I I think John wins. I don't think he like flat out retires, but I do think he steps away. And I do think Aspinall could be the dude to get him back. It's he's probably going to need to win the vacant title and then run off a defense or two. But I think if John, at least John sees the potential in this man to be a draw and a potential money-making venture outside of just fist fighting and piling on his resume. I think Aspinall, like of the current crop of guys outside of, legends or former champions that could entice John to come back. I think Aspinall is the best chance over a Pavlovich or a Jailton Almeida. Yeah. He's he speaks UFC- English. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. And he's, that's, he's, that's like the primary factor is he speaks English. And, you and just so he hang out with all John Jones out. Yeah. You just want to hang out with the guy. You want to, like I said, on the post fight show, I would buy a car from Tom Aspinall right now. Cause yeah, he's I heard so you say that. Jovial. I don't, 
that does not feel like a uh, a recommendation to me. As someone who worked in the auto industry for a long time, uh, to me that felt like you were insulting Tom Aspinall. Honestly, <laughs> just not I, buying cars from people. That's not the vibes I get from Tommy Aspinall. I think you know what I mean. He's very friendly. I would definitely have a. He's very a, friendly. A, yeah, I would have an adult beverage with him. I talked to him about really anything because it would be a joy. But. Let's talk about what happened right before Tom Aspinall delivered a great performance. Molly McCann did not deliver a great performance. She gets submitted by the new flyweight, Julia Stoliarenko. This fight had a lot of questions, mostly because of Stoliarenko. She was having trouble making 135. If she made the weight, was she going to look horrendous doing it? She looked fantastic. She looked upbeat. She looked like 125 should have been her home for a long time. And she took Molly down and tapped her real quick. And then a few days later, Molly gave her her statement on the loss. She was bummed, obviously. And then she announced that she is going to attempt a, a drop to the strawweight division. So your reaction to Sully Rango's win, your reaction to Molly's reaction, and is this the right move, dropping down to 115 for Meatball Molly? It's definitely the right move. Um, I... I said in the preview of this fight, I called it the stoppable force meets the movable object because Stoyarenko is not a good wrestler and McCann isn't either. But if McCann can just be good enough to keep on her feet, she's probably going to win. And then she super couldn't do it and immediately got got greased. So a fight is not a shocking outcome in any respect. If you've been following Molly McCann's career, you she is what she is. The cake's baked. We know it. She's her popularity exceeds her ability. And that's a good thing in prize fighting. Like it's very, very rare to be able to pull that particular magic trick off. And she's done it. Uh, I think moving down, it'll help. I mean, I, I don't, she's not large for flyweight. I don't, she's not like especially small, but she could move down. I think she can make, uh, make straw weight and be a, be a larger person there, which will help her. Um, shore up some of those deficiencies her game has never really been like a speed-based game anyway so it's not like she's losing a, a huge edge there she's just you know tough hang she's in there she's scrappy she's gonna fight she's gonna be there for three rounds if you don't take her down and submit her and she can probably have some success at straw weight her she will always have opportunities because of how popular she is but She's a fringe top 15 fighter, whatever weight class it is. She's never going to fight for a title. And I, I think most of us have known this for a while. It's it's the same with Patty. And that's not a knock on them. That's just who they are. Still, Yurenko, on the other hand, I still don't think she's fighting for a title. Uh, but it's weird because you wouldn't think that this is a natural weight class for her, given her struggles at 135. But she looked great. And just physically in general, it does appear that she's probably better served at this weight class. Again, I doubt she's going to compete for a title but that's a good win over a fringe top 15 competitor and in the best women's weight class in the world we now have somebody who's at least going to get an opportunity you get molly mccann you know done up you're going to get a chance to fight somebody with a number next to their name make something happen i didn't actually look at the ufc's rankings uh this week let me pull them up because it's possible that story got ranked off that she did not yeah, I didn't she think is so. not ranked in the. Yeah, she is not. It could have been, but no, she is. Well, because I mean, before that, McCann was on a three-five win streak and her loss to Aaron Blanchfield, who is the best flyweight in the world. So, um, like you know, no knocking her for that. But yeah, no, she's not there. But she's probably going to get, I don't know, Tracy Cortez or Andrea Lee, and then you can go from there, and she'll have a chance at a ranking. So good for her. Great win. Yeah, 
I matched with the Andrew Lee Natty Ice loser at UFC 292, I believe. Loser that fight gets gets Stolyarenko and see what she can do. Change of weight certainly worked out for Paul Craig. I do want to mention him real quick. Goes out there. Boy, did did this crowd and the people watching this car need Paul Craig to do Paul Craig things. And boy, did he do Paul Craig things. Just beats the hell out of Andre Muniz. Gets the big win. Crowd went bananas. We felt the momentum shift a little bit. And we've been preaching, Jed, for a long time, since October, that fighters need to do the thing. Do the thing and do the thing correctly. I'm not going to ding Paul Craig for not doing it at the post-fight interview with Michael Bisbing, but man, did he do the thing on the post-fight show, calling out Bo Nickel. I love that call out. I don't think he gets that fight right now, but at least he plants seeds because I think when Bo does get a ranked dude, I think Paul Craig makes all the sense in the world. And I think Paul Craig set himself up for success. I give the man an A borderline A plus for his Saturday afternoon in, in London, England. Your thoughts? Mm, I'm not going to give him an A. Um, shouts to Paul Craig. I was not working this event, um, which super happy about because it does not appear <laughs> does not appear that many people had a good time uh doing this i was checking the slacks was like man pretty happy i'm missing this one that's sweet give me that misfits action later on that evening because at least it was weird misfits was bad but it was super weird which was at least kind of fun uh shouts to paul craig for doing the thing uh, to some respects, I didn't love the bow nickel call out. I get it. I don't. I don't hate it, um, but I, I sort of didn't like most of what I heard him say afterwards. <laughs> like calling out bow nickel again, I get it. But one, I'm not sure that that's a good call out because bow nickel's gonna just rinse him. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it's probably not good for you. I don't know. Like, we're just talking about a dude who is like really scrappy in game, but he struggled against dudes who hit really hard and are very athletic uh, at a weight class up above. And so now his his first move is going to be like, what if I fight arguably the most athletic dude in this weight class? Granted, he doesn't really know much about fighting yet, but I did just see him put the hands all over some dude that's just not going to go well for him. So I don't love the call out in that regard, even though I – like you don't think he's getting that next that might be down the line i think he just like uh i'm pulling up the ufc's rankings now too uh interesting the ufc rankings not sure they've done anything with the ufc rankings right now uh is this still not updated so they still have andre muniz ranked at 14 um, which is obviously wrong given that he just lost to Paul Craig. They still have Craig at number nine uh, in the light heavyweight. So the five people doing the UFC rankings, congratulations, you're still very bad at your jobs. Uh, <laughs> he, just got a, he just got a middleweight ranking. Like when our cycle comes up, I suspect Paul Craig will be at that top 15-ish level in the middleweight rankings, certainly be a farve if he doesn't quite crack the numbers. I would have liked to see him be a little more proactive if, towards – towards moving up that list and instead he calls out bo nickel which by definition is fighting backwards even if it's a bigger name that's not getting him advancing uh, up the the numbers and then he also was like i mean i'm not done with 205 and while i understand the impulse again he does have wins over jamal hill and magaman ankalaev two of the three best light heavyweights in the world depending on how you want to rank them and yiri altogether. 
come on, Paul. Like we, we all know what's up here. Like we don't, if you rematch those two dudes, it's probably not going to go the same. Like we don't, you know, we don't have to live in the fantasy world that you are going to compete for light heavyweight belt, even though the weight class is worse. Try and make an honest to God run here at middleweight. Uh, I think the division suits you. You looked pretty good in there. I, why aren't you fighting Jack Hermanson? I don't know if Jack Hermanson's booked, but that should have just been it. Like, let me fight a staple of the middleweight division. That's the fight. That's the next fight for Paul yeah. Craig. Yeah, just here's a dude. I mean, I would frankly love Gerald Mearshart, even though he's not ranked, just because Gerald Mearshart has always felt like the Paul Craig of middleweight. And now that the two of them can go, then that fight just makes me happy. But... Jack Hermanson just is like, he's a top 10 dude. Like you should be trying to get that because they like you and there's a reason to like you. And hell, it's middleweight, man. Like you're concerned with getting the big name of Bo Nickel, which is probably not happening. This is middleweight where Sean Strickland, who the UFC has ranked number six, is the is the front runner to get a title fight. Like if you just call out Jack Hermanson to beat him and then you're like, okay, give me Jared Cannonier or somebody, you might be two fights away from a title shot. So you should be pushing for that heavy. So I didn't love most of his post-fight stuff, but the performance was great, and I'm happy to see him look good at middleweight. Yeah, hey, listen, if Gerald Mearshart beats Andre Petrovsky in a couple weeks at UFC 292, maybe he can call Bo Nickel. I'm uh, not Bo Nickel, uh, Paul Craig. I think, see, I think Gerald Mearshart is more, makes more sense for Bo Nickel because Paul Craig's like a top 15 dude. So if you're doing the dance with Bo Nickel, you're just firing him up. And while I don't think that's too early, I still think you probably want to give him one more. I think Gerald Mearshart is like the ideal next dude for Bo Nickel to face. I like Puna Soriano. Give that's him a fine. hammer. It's, yeah. it's the exact same thing, right? Like it's just he didn't get a, a step guy up. You got to step A back. guy who's been around. Yeah, just give him a yeah. guy who's been around, a veteran dude. And then when he greases him, then it's like, all right, now we can give him a top 15 guy. Yeah, give him Puna, then give him the top 20 dude, and then give him Paul Craig right after that. Perfect. Nailed it. Well, that's UFC London. Let's put that away probably for a long time. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. 
I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com, designed for work. Let's move to this Saturday, UFC 291. Jed, the rematch is upon us. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje 2. We get the BMF title on the line. Jorge Mazadal is going to be there to wrap the title around the winner. And this one just seems more than right up your alley, does it not? Is is this the My most alley. highly is this, <laughs> this the most is everybody's highly alley. it's up everybody's alley but is this to you the most highly anticipated fight of the year for you this is this isn't an alley this is route 66 this is i-85 <laughs> baby this is, this is everybody is on board on this thing like if if there is a single person out there who's like not into it make yourself known i because that's the hottest take i've ever heard Mo. Like, uh, there's no, there is no conceivable reason not to be pumped about this. I said on Obet's Bard this week, I'd have to really dive into it, but at worst, this is like the third best fight I could put together in mixed martial arts right now. Like I can, I can think of maybe two fights I would be more interested in watching at this moment in time than these two dudes fist fight each other again. It's insane. Uh, this week has been awesome. I love my job in general. Love MMAfighting.com. It's a great website. Weeks like this are the best when I am just paid to do things like rewatch all of Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje fights for primer articles and stuff. Like I was just sick. Uh, rewatched this, this fight again this morning as I was finishing up a thing that's going to come out later today or tomorrow. That fight's amazing. It's 2018 fight of the year for a reason. And we're probably about to get something incredibly similar this time around. The only possible argument anyone could have against this fight is, well, we've already seen it and I don't want to see it again. And because I at least understand that argument, problem is we saw it five years ago. They're not the same fighters they were, so it is a different fight. This isn't uh, we're running it back immediately, which still would have been fine. Again, it was the fight of the freaking year. No, this is five years. They've both picked up very significant wins, had a couple of setbacks, shown a whole diversity of new skill sets in between. Very different fighters, a very different – every bit about this is different. And so this is incredible. Uh, I know some people are, you know, whatever about the BMF belt, and that's fine. I don't understand the conversation around the BMF belt and why we're treating that as a negative. If it's not your bag of tea – don't think about it. You simply don't have to. Like I don't – I there has been like actual pushback on this from people and I just don't get why. Like, oh, we don't need it. Okay. Don't even think about it then. You simply <laughs> don't have to. You can just enjoy – there. the belt affects nothing for this fight and that's your criticism is it means nothing. Then just don't – who gives a shit then? If, if it means nothing, why does it mean anything to you? Just be like, cool, I'm just going to enjoy this fight for the fight of it. And then they'll do a belt exchange at the end and I can turn off the TV. <laughs> it's entirely fine. Like this is one of those things that is mind-boggling to me why anyone would care in a negative fashion about it. Probably shouldn't be like, oh, hell yeah, this is the BMF belt. But if that's it, I want to yuck your yum. If you're into that, live live your dreams, baby. But if you're not, just be like, cool. Well, I still get one of the best fights in mixed martial arts. Good. <laughs> there's there's no negative to this matchup. And I can't understand why anyone's even like prescribing any amount of it to It's like, no, this fight kicks all of the ass. This fight is probably going to deliver, barring 
knock on wood, some sort of major injury or something like that, we're we're going to have something dope as hell happen for five to 25 minutes and it's going to rule. And it's like, I'm just assuming this is the fight of the year. We've had really good fights this year. I am already just penciling this in as the best fight of 2023. Interesting. Okay. I wanted to bring that up because by the way, I was one of those people that was just like the BMF title thing is dumb. But then I heard Gaethje at the media day yesterday, and I was like, hmm, Justin Gaethje wins. It's going to be kind of fun seeing Poirier's well, that- teammate wrap the belt around his waist and Gaethje probably being a little smarmy about it. That's certainly awesome. fun. Also, yeah, like, sure, the BMF belt is dumb, but how many times in the history of this program have you heard me yell at them not having fun? It's at least something different and interesting, and maybe Poirier defends it, maybe not. But if you don't, if it's dumb to you, it literally has no bearing on the fight. So you just don't even have to think about it. It has yep. no bearing. It, it in fact changes zero parts of this fight. So you can just enjoy the fight, which we all agree kicks ass. Yeah. So you mentioned you're already locking it in as, as the number one fight. Penciling and, it in, not locking it in, okay. penciling, penciling it in. It's penciled, but still, that's, but you're writing it down. You're at least writing it down. Could you erase it? Sure. But you seem very confident because we had our primer roundtable column. I haven't written one of those in a couple of years, but dusted off the old fingertips and and typed things up. And the headline is the first question we had, is this fight a lock for fight of the year? And to me, lock just seems like such a strong word when we had Volkanovsky Makachev, we had Moreno Pantoja just beating six shades of caca out of each other. You're penciling this in. It just feels like the expectations for this fight are somewhat unfair, considering how the first fight went. Like, how do you think this one looks compared to the first fight over five years ago that did win fight of the year? Do you think it's going to be a similar chaotic battle? Or do you think, like, I think it's going to be really, really, really good in just different ways than the first one. So I think it's going to be pretty similar. Here's the thing. Uh, we penciled the same thing in five years ago when these two dudes for, were set to face each other five years ago. We were like, that's probably going to be fight of the year. <laughs> we did the same thing when Justin Gaethje was fighting Eddie Alvarez. We are like, that's probably going to be fight of the year. And both of those times it delivered because that's, that's sort of what it is. Maybe the one time that that sort of thing hasn't worked in a Justin Gaethje scenario was I feel like a lot of people were penciling in the Tony Ferguson one. And that didn't win fight of the year, but it was in the short list. <laughs> like it, it, it was in the top five of the year. It was fight of the night. It was an incredible performance. Michael Chandler, that's going to be one of the fights of the year. Oh, actually, it was, again, the fight of the year. Justin Gaethje, you can you can have expectations. He and Robbie Lawler are the two dudes. They are 1A and 1B and the most exciting fighters of all time. The conversation is those two dudes, and then whoever else you want to put on that Mount Rushmore – that's up for debate. There are a lot of other people. When Justin Gaethje is fist fighting somebody, particularly if he's fist fighting somebody of the 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 cut that, that Dustin Poirier is, we we can have the expectations and believe they will be fulfilled. I think this fight is going to look a little different, but ultimately the same because at the end of the day, I think these two dudes are who they are. I think Justin Gaethje has improved and made more structural changes to his game since their first bout, but. 
push comes to shove, maybe maybe he will look a little more cautious early on. You know, he's been a lot more defensively responsible since losing back-to-back fights to Alvarez and Gage, uh, Poirier. So maybe he will have a little bit more of that, a little show a little bit more craft in there early. But when the when the bullets start flying, these two dudes are gonna be who they're gonna be. And so, you know, we have five rounds. Maybe the first round is is not quite as immediately Gaethje is in his face and we are off to the races from the first 10 seconds until the fight finishes. Maybe it takes a, a few more minutes, but it push comes to shove. They're going to be in there doing exactly what they do. And what they do is go to war. Like that is who these guys are at their core. And so this fight's going to rule, man. Like I have, I would bet, I, w- I would bet a pinky that this fight is going to be incredible. It may not be fight of the year because that's we never know what will come. And yes, Volkanovsky Makachev is such a high level exchange. But if this fight is anything close to their first one, coin flip whether that's better than Volk Islam. Like Volk Islam was, I I'm almost close to guaranteeing that this fight will be more fun than Volk Islam was. Volk Islam was a terrific fight and a fun one, but it ain't going to be the same kind of carnage that we're going to see this weekend. So my argument, and it was mostly just to be different, but I actually truly believe this, that there will be, look, it's still going to be really, really good. There are going to be elements of chaos. Like you said, these guys are who they are and you can only pretend not to be that for so long but my case for it being more of a tactical masterpiece mixed in with the chaos like more tactics than chaos as opposed to the first fight where chaos reigns supreme is that one these two guys are they're rounding third on their careers now could they fight for three more years and still have really fun fights and people will love to see it and pay a bunch of money to watch them sure of course there's certain names it's 155 there's plenty of people coming up but with the rounding third thing it's what is at stake for the winner of this fight and i'm not talking about the bmf title i'm talking about the winner of islam makachev versus charles Oliveira, because whoever wins this fight is going to fight the winner of that fight and unless the only way i can see this changing is one example and i'll give it in a second i know that example (laughs) Yeah, this very likely will be the last chance either guy fights for a world title. The only way that this this could change is if Justin Gaethje wins on Saturday and beats Islam Makachev for the title. Then we could do the third fight to settle the score for the belt, and that would be absolutely gigantic. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I like the fight's still gonna be really, really good, and like I'm penciling it in to be on my top five for sure. But I just think it's gonna be a different fight, still very fun, but. Like, I got a bunch of crap for saying Michelle Pereira and Nico Price was not going to be in a 15-car wreck on the middle of the highway. And it wasn't. It was really fun. It's because they, they got to Pereira. They got to him. They they Look what look how they massacred my boy, Mike. He was the <laughs> most fun. And then he gassed himself out backstage against some random lightweight. who And, and then they took him out. It was never going to be fun. They're never going to massacre my boy, Justin Gaethje, like that. I refuse to believe it. Yeah, no, I, but you know what I'm saying though. Like, but I, considering I know what's what you're at saying. stake, last chance for the belt. Like, maybe there's a, I don't know if cautious is the right word because I don't know if that is word is really in their dictionaries for 25 minutes. I don't think it will be, but maybe more wiseness. Maybe there'll be. Yeah. I, just, that's the thing. I think that's you know going to make the fight better because I get it. Yeah. Like, 
I think that I agree to some extent. Like I think a lot of there will be more tactics in play because Justin Gaethje – uh, was a strategic fighter. He was not a tactical fighter for most of his career. Um, big picture versus small. Like his, largely he went into every fight as I'm going to create a bunch of car crashes and I will survive them and you will not. And that worked for a very long time. And honestly, damn near worked against Dustin Poirier. I think people have a misremember that fight. The commentary team was certainly off in that fight as well, acting as if Poirier was getting completely mollywopped. But Heading into the fourth round, Gaethje was about to win the fight. Like he had all the momentum. Poirier could barely stand on his lead leg. And then one really enormous left hand from Poirier hurt Gaethje and the fight ended, like was over. And that's just sort of how the fight went. But it all of the strategy that Gaethje employed was working. His tactics were flawed. And that's I think he has become a much better tactical fighter as we saw against Hafiel Fazeev. And that is, I think, just going to make this fight better. We are going to see these two dudes be chaotic and be insane, but also with the same sort of technical, tactical nuance that we got in Volkanovsky-Makachev, right? And and that's – because that fight is, like I said sort of earlier, that fight is not a great fight because it is incredibly thrilling. It is a good fight. There's tons of action. But it, there's a narrative going on. There is a back and forth a, a, as adjustments get made and there's sort of a rhythm to this fight that builds in a really uh, – great way that storytelling does i think we have a much higher opportunity for that to happen in this plus it's still justin gaethje and dustin poirier who are going to let it fly when it all when we really get down to brass tacks so that's why i'm penciling this in as the fight of the year i think this fight has a really good opportunity to be better than the first and if it's as good as the first i still think it would be the best fight of this year and if it's better than the first we're talking a top 10 fight of all time yeah, I'm not poo-pooing the fight at all. It's tremendous. It's going to be wonderful. The watch party is going to be fantastic watching it go down. Let me ask you this, Jed. I have not listened to No Best Bard yet. Plan on listening mm-hmm. to the first chunk of it later on today, some of it tomorrow. My guess is if you are betting straight on this fight, that you're betting Justin Gaethje because these guys are very evenly, evenly matched. The success he had in the first fight, he's the underdog. So I think if the line was flipped, you might even lean Dustin Poirier just because of how closely matched they are. So taking the betting odds out of it, underdog odds plus money looks as enticing as that is. Take all that out. If this is 50-50 and this is a straight pick even odds, are you leaning Poirier or Gaethje and why? I mean, this is – it's a gin. You're absolutely correct. I'm taking Gaethje for value. This is a coin flip fight. Um, So pick the day and I may have a different answer. I did just rewatch basically their entire catalogs this morning as I was wrapping up my primer piece for this fight. Uh, And I am at the moment leaning towards Justin Gaethje in it. Uh, I think Dustin Poirier is the more crafty fighter. Um, He's still a better defensive fighter and that paid huge dividends – uh, and he can still kind of lean on that in this bout. But to me, uh, the leg kicks are still going to be a major factor for Gaethje. Poirier basically just ate them all and just gutted his way through it. And that's not – it works, but that's not really a recipe for success for your strategy to simply be, I'm going to be real tough um, and, and hope hope that my leg keeps working because it, it just won't. That's a huge thing for me. Uh I also I'm taking a lot away from their most recent fights too, which is coming into this. 
Uh, I know the Fazeev fight had a little bit of controversy. I think some people thought Fazeev won that fight. I am not among them. Uh, and I was really impressed by the adjustments Gaethje made in that fight. Um, you're talking about a dude who that many people thought that was a terrible stylistic matchup for him among the worst in the division and sort of found a way to work through it using craft and guile that has largely not been his his calling card and, and making that fight uh difficult for Fazeev in a way that he wasn't anticipating. I think one of the big things from that fight, Justin Gaethje hits real hard, um, but he is not like, he doesn't really sit down on his punches all that often. There have been a couple. I mean, the James Vick KO certainly stands out, but he is largely not a dude who is swinging as hard as he can. He's just letting his natural power touch you and that and his leg kicks and just the pace he is putting just sort of all accumulates into this collapsing erosion uh, of your body against Fazeev he wasn't able to do that and he was struggling to find the mark early in that fight uh as frequently as he kind of has with other people and so he was just like all right swing him and he just started firing huge fastballs down the middle and not all of them would hit but the ones that did hurt him like they would hurt Fazeev they got reactions out of him they got him to adjust his style I think that was a huge thing missing from the first fight with Poirier Poirier would have these big moments if you go watch it back where he's always touching with the jab and kind of keeping pace with Gaethje's leg kicks in that way but when Gaethje would go to the high shell cover-up Poirier would double triple quadruple jab and then fire in a hook around the guard or uppercut and just get these extended combinations that really let him put a pretty high volume on Gaethje that obviously was effective. I think Gaethje is going to be a lot better this time around at not allowing that to happen and simply swinging as hard as he can out of his freaking shoes to, to hit Dustin and back him up and not allow him to get into a real big rhythm. And I think that that's a huge weapon. I mean, Michael Chandler hurt Dustin Poirier. I think Justin Gaethje can hit just as hard as Michael Chandler if he's really trying to do so. And I think that that can just be, and he's not going to like totally gas out like Michael Chandler does in every fight. So the, the, the inter, the way that these two dudes are coming into this fight gives me just a very slight edge towards Justin Gaethje. You know, with the main events, we talk about stakes and fighters, what they have to lose and stuff. And and usually you look at the main event as the obvious answer of like f- which fighter has the most to lose on this card. But if you look up and down the top seven fights, outside of maybe the, the featured prelim, prelim between Bonfim and Giles, but if you look at the five main card fights and the Derek Lewis fight, you can make a case for at least one dude in every single fight who has the most to lose on this entire car. But do you view it as Poirier and Gaethje has the most to lose on this car? Like they got a title shot to gain the BMF title, everything. They're going to get a ton of momentum from a win here, but do they have the most to lose here? Or is it a guy like Tony Ferguson? Who's lost five in a row, a guy like Derek Lewis, who's has not looked great. Steven Thompson's title aspirations, not gone yet, but they're hanging by a thread. We get Jan Bohovic, Alex Pereira, Michael Chiesa coming back after a long layoff. Can Kevin Holland be a contender? Like you can make a case for a lot of guys in a lot of these top seven fights, but do you feel like Poirier and Gaethje have the most to lose on Saturday? It's a really good question. And I'm not sure. Um, they probably, they're the easiest answer. Yes. Because 
they the opportunity costs because they are losing a title fight functionally the winner of this will fight for the belt next they are losing a belt by definition even if you don't like the belt the belt is a thing that they will be getting um that will go down in in the ufc history books as the second bmf champion and the loser of this probably does never compete for another belt um not a thousand percent certain but pretty likely is done at the same token I think these are the two dudes who are the most locked in for their legacies of all the people on this card. Maybe you could argue Jan Blahovich can't really do too much to alter his legacy at this point either. Justin Gaethje is going to retire as one of the most exciting fighters who's ever lived. Dustin Poirier is also one of the most exciting fighters who have ever lived. They're both champions. They've both done a lot. So I, I'm open to that argument. I think the easiest and simplest argument is the loser of this loses the most on this card, though. All right. Well, anything else you that's on your mind about this fight, Jed? About this fight? No. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be awesome. They, I have a thousand questions about what tactics each dude are going to bring in. And that's why, like I said, why I think this fight can be better. Because in the first one, I, there weren't really like a huge number of questions. It was, can Dustin Poirier be broken? by Justin Gaethje? And for 15 minutes, it really looked like he could be. And then he just landed a big one. This one... There, I have an infinite number of questions. What each dude is going to do, what adjustments are going to be made, uh, how how they are approaching this fight in general. Is the elevation going to play a factor? Like, just a thousand questions. I Again, there are maybe two fights that you could put together inside of mixed martial arts that I'd be more interested in than this one. It's going to be a great fight, and I'm excited for it. So let's move on to the co-main event, Jed. Another question on that primer was... Is Jan Blachowicz the right opponent for Alex Pereira's UFC debut at 205 pounds? So my answer was admittedly at first, it was a no for me because stylistically this could be a really tough fight. But considering there's no champion right now and Yuri's just waiting around and doesn't seem like the UFC is going to give Ankaliyev or Johnny Walker any favors, I feel like this is kind of the best it can get realistically right now for Pereira, even though it's a tough matchup for him. What do you think? All things considered now, do you feel differently with the title being vacant and everything that's happened in this division since this fight was announced? Is this, in fact, with everything left, the right fight to make for Pereira's 205 debut? Uh, no. I think that it's a really – they just have a really difficult – task with it with the 205 debut basically because i get the idea in concept is okay you just you just want to give Pereira right into the mix against the top five guy like that's that's sort of the idea and so i get that the problem like you sort of pointed out a lot of the other guys aren't aren't going to happen for one reason or another uh i think this is a really tough stylistic matchup for Pereira, and if he wins good on him like that's terrific but it's like I, I would say that Ankalaev is a worse stylistic matchup, but that's probably about it. I would say Pereira has a better chance to beat everybody else in the top of this division, uh, other other than Blachowicz. Really, like this is Jan Blachowicz doesn't get a lot of credit for a lot of things that he has done in his career. I don't understand why. For most of his career, he was just sort of an also ran, and there is a realistic argument that he should have always been that and if john jones had never left jan blahovich simply would have just been another dude jan blahovich is a really good defensive fighter um he is a 
one of, if not the best defender of, of leg kicks, uh, which was a huge feather in his cap against Magman Akalaev, who like a lot of his striking game just relies on his kicking ability. Pereira's game is not nearly as bent towards kicking, uh, but it is like a really fundamental part of how his offense is set and how his rhythm goes to work. And Blahovic is going to shut that down like very, very quickly. And then it's just a question of, okay, can Pereira boop him before Blahovic force him into clinches and just bodies him down the way he did Izzy because I maybe prayer is going to be a lot better. He's not cutting weight. Like that's, that will be a big question. We'll see what he looks like at this weight class where he is not killing himself to make it. He gets to eat all he wants, et cetera. Jan Blahovich did not have a real difficult time taking down Israel Adesanya, who's admittedly smaller than Pereira, but I think a better technical defensive wrestler and just sitting on him. And Izzy was able to take down Pereira I just the one and one seems to make two to me here. I think Blahovich is savvy enough on the feet to not get totally clobbered immediately and at least be competitive enough to set up takedowns. And he's not a dummy. He's just going to take him down a bunch. And maybe he can't finish him, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like, he's got a good arm triangle. He's got good top pressure. Pereira doesn't have much off from his back. Izzy controlled him on the floor for like four minutes. So... I, I think this is a really tough matchup. I would have much preferred a Johnny Walker matchup. I know Jamal Hill is injured, but like that would have made uh, been fun, kind of insane, but would have made like fun. And I think there's a really, really high possibility that Pereira just immediately gets stymied as a as a title threat right up right out of the gate. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people look at this fight where Pereira, if Pereira wins, he's just going to highlight real Jan. And if Jan wins, it's not going to be the most aesthetically pleasing performance. Like you said, Jan doesn't get enough credit for being a finisher. And I, like, I was looking up a stat earlier that, like, it's almost 11, even, nine, and nine, baby. It's crazy. 11, dude. nine. And, yeah. We, we talked about that on No Bets Bard. Like, he, he is extreme. Like, he's got 11 decisions, nine subs, nine TKOs. Like, it's, He's incredibly well-rounded. <laughs> yeah, but considering what's at stake and how that fight for Bohovich with Ankalaev didn't really age very well with the big boss, and I think more of the blame, at least to Dana White, went towards Magomed Ankalaev. But is there a chance, considering Jan's age, where he's at in this division, that maybe Jan just doesn't go in there thinking, you know what, my best path to victory is just putting this man on his back and just holding him there for for 15 minutes and winning a 30 27. But do you think there's a chance that Jan actually fights with a little more risk than you would expect him to? Like, do you, if he goes out and just does what most people feel like he will do, tackle him, lay on him, land short shots, maybe in position. Do you feel like Dana White will go to the presser and say, yeah, man, he's definitely fighting Yuri. No doubt about it. Cause I'm not, so sure. So do you think Jan, there's a part of him that's like, I got to be a little more exciting than that in order to make it a no brainer for him to get the next title shot. Oh, I hope not. I, I don't think so. I, okay, it could happen. Um, you know, his career renaissance really occurred because of legendary Polish power and some good branding on his part. So maybe he just views this in that lens. And if so, that is about the worst possible choice he could make. Uh, if he if he just tries to kickbox with Alex Pereira for 15 minutes, he is going to get got like that. 
if, if you tell me right now he's not going to shoot a takedown, I will bet a substantial amount of money on Alex Pereira. I have to believe that he is smart enough to this. And the thing is, he doesn't have to lay him pray Pereira. Like, I get that that's the concern. But if he just immediately tackles him, again, is he controlled Pereira on the ground for like four minutes? Jan Blachowicz is a much better top position player than that. He has a good arm triangle choke. He can just get the takedowns and then just beat up Pereira on the ground and then try and submit him. And if he... If he wins a 30-27, he's definitely not getting the, the opportunity to fight for a title. Okay, I won't say definitely, actually, just because he's pretty well-liked. The UFC seems to really enjoy him. Um, he's a great dude. Why not? You could just run Yiri, Jan, or, or however, and they, as you previously pointed out, not really into doing favors from Agamed. But if he goes out here and finishes him, then I think he's a, he's got the inside lane. Like if So if he can go in there, get takedowns, ground and pound Pereira out, or find a submission then he's definitely going to get it. So I think he's just not going to be dumb. Kickboxing with Pereira would be objectively stupid. Most interesting storyline at UFC 291 outside of the top two fights. Okay. That is a good one. Um, It's not Steven Thompson, Michelle Pereira, because look what they did to my boy. They ruined him. He's about to he's about to tackle Wonder Boy, which is smart, but it's gonna be boring as hell. If we were gonna get karate versus capoeira, that would be fun and Pereira would probably get dusted, but instead he's just gonna tackle Wonder Boy. Uh I will never be interested in a Tony Ferguson fight because he is washed. Um Michael Chiesa, Kevin Holland is probably the answer. I mean Kevin Holland can Kevin Holland wrestle? Still don't know. Haven't seen a lot of that thing happening lately or in his entire career. Case is coming off almost two-year layoff. He talked to Ariel earlier this week on the MMA Hour and was very, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine. I, I already did a, a full camp for April and then my fight with Li Jingliang got got pushed back. So I actually feel like I'm this, was, this is ideal for me. I've had two camps now. I'm ready to go. Uh, that's probably the most fight the fight i have sort of the most questions about other than the main event and probably has the biggest stakes because holland gets a win top 15 ranked welterweight can i actually case it might be like top 10 of the uc's rankings i'm not sure can try and make moves up up the ladder there even though i think he will struggle and kiesa gets a win coming back snaps off a two-fight skid now he's back to being a going concern i think that's probably the one i'm gonna say i have the most uh the most interesting for the rest of the card over under one and a half retirements on saturday retirements uh, i'm gonna say under i don't know who all tony ferguson's never gonna retire and i know that he should but he's never gonna retire um steven thompson probably won't retire in the cage even if he if loses he by parade no, because he doesn't want to go. I'm extremely confident Stephen Thompson will let us know when he retires. And when he does, it will be like, hey, UFC, you got to give me a Nico Price. You got to give me a dude who's going to strike with me, who has literally never shot a takedown in the UFC. And I'll fight that dude and then I'll retire. Um, so I don't think so. I, I, we sh- like if, if they lost, Thompson and Ferguson should both retire. Um, and like there's an argument that Blahovich and frankly Poirier and Gaethje should hang it up because they've taken too many things. I don't think we're going to get any of them. Um, Derek Lewis also like theoretically should retire if he loses to Marco Sergio de Lima, but I doubt that's going to happen. And I don't want him to retire because 
I'm torn. Actually, the heavyweight fight might be my my other my actual low key that I'm the most interested in. Because if Derek Lewis loses, it will be the worst loss of his career. Everybody else he's lost to has been good, um, at least whereas Marcos Rogero de Lima is not. So that'll be pretty <laughs> tough for Derek Lewis. He's not good. Like I'm sorry, he's just not. Like, that's I've watched the man fight. He's not awful, but he's not like a top ten heavyweight, and that's sort of the dude who Derek Lewis lost to. Uh, so that'll be a pretty big falling for Derek Lewis, um, which I don't kind of want to see. But also, if he loses, maybe we can get Derek Lewis and BKFC, and I really want to see Derek Lewis and BKFC. See, the more you think about it, there's a lot of names potentially, but we'll see what Derek happens. That's Derek Lewis has a chance has a chance to retire. I don't think he's going to, but it, there's an opportunity. What about Kiesa? He's not old. He's not going to retire. Do you hear the way he talked to Ariel? So, I mean, his specific words, I'm paraphrasing because I don't want to say it's a direct quote, but is I've got a lot of tread left on these tires. I'm nowhere close to done. Okay. So I, I don't think he's retiring at all. All right, cool. That's UFC 291. It's got to be a fun main card. Watch party 945 really p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We'll have a preview this, show tomorrow. Go ahead. Does Jake Matthews retire if he loses to Darius Flowers on short notice? <laughs> You mean Jake former Matthews, Jed, former Jed Mishu, top ten ranked welterweight, Jake, Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews may actually have the most to lose this weekend because if he's done, he's just done. Like he still is only twenty eight, so like you could convince me he could have an RDA like late run in his career. Uh, I thought he was doing it, and then he super wasn't um, because Matthew Simmelsberger was just bigger than him, and he couldn't handle that. <laughs> So it's like if he loses Darius Flowers, then he's probably like done, done for his career. So arguably he's got the most to lose this weekend. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you know who else has a lot to lose? Two men in the boxing ring. Spence Crawford going down on Saturday, Jed. Spence Crawford, big boxing match the same day as UFC 291. There's another event going on right around that's going to begin right around the same time of UFC 291 that we'll get to in a moment. But Spence Crawford, Jed, just all the feels. What a fight. Yeah, it's pretty good, man. It's it's a pretty good fist fight coming at you. This is... I don't say this often, and I don't think I've ever said it for a Justin Gaethje fight. If you can watch one event this weekend, I would watch Spence Crawford over UFC 291. And I love the – I just gave you 20 minutes extolling the virtues of UFC 291. 
Spence Crawford is as good as boxing gets. Boxing has been unbelievable this year. Credit to the sport as a whole for making a lot of dope things happen. This is about as dope as it can happen. Um, the thing with boxing, particularly at the high level, 12 rounds is so good. Like it, it is so – there's so much time for I – and mean, when we were talking earlier about the, about the flow and how fights can have a narrative and sort of develop as tactics and adjustments get made, it's really hard in MMA with five-minute rounds and so few of them. You've, you know, 12 three-minute rounds really allows an ebb and flow and a story to be told. We are going to get one of those. I think Bud Crawford is going to win. I think he's one of – I would have said he's the top pound for pound boxer in the world. Um, but uh, I don't know if you happen to be on the internet on Wednesday, but uh, in a way, yeah, in a, in a way, pretty good. So he might actually be the top pound for pound boxer in the world. But I think for several years, Bud Crawford has been sort of that guy that I would say is he is capable of doing the most things, I think, of any boxer, like elite level boxer. Uh, going, he he can fight in any fashion, in any direction. Uh, his mutability is just insane, and Spence is sort of a, a perfect foil to what will go on there. Uh, you're getting two dudes with a combined record of like 105 and zero, or something, something insanely stupid like that. It's boxing does not get better than this. So if you can only watch one. I would say tune in to watch that and then tune into MMAfighting.com for UFC 291. But, I mean, it's it, this we, we have an embarrassment of riches this weekend, Mike. Yes, we certainly do. Uh, not to mention, by the way, we'll, we'll take a few questions at the end. So if you got questions about stuff we haven't talked about or even follow-ups to things we did talk about, throw them in the chat. We'll pull them up and we'll discuss for like 10 or 15 minutes. But Bellator versus Ryzen 2 going down late saturday night into early sunday morning boy the timing is tough but i was thinking to myself okay still a good car we get aj mckee fighting in the lightweight grand prix not anymore uh no you don't <laughs> go to ma fighting see why just nasty infection for aj mckee totally understandable and it, you knew it had to be nasty if aj mckee is pulling out of a fight at saitama super arena we know much of that building means to him but he's still going to be an alternate. And then Satoshi is now in there. It's going to be a catchweight fight with Tricky Pitbull. Just, I don't know, man. Like, obviously, I was excited that they were going back to the well. I didn't put two and two together. There's going to be the same date as both Spence Crawford and UFC 291. I know it's going to be a little bit later. So if you're just, you chug a bunch of primes, you could probably watch everything. But Oh, you're going to be fine. Not a UFC, two, uh, UFC 291 and Spence Crawford is going to be much more problematic from a timing standpoint. Yeah. There's like a real it's pro, it's a probability, I would say, that the main events will be going on concurrently there. because uh, the Bellator fight doesn't start till eleven PM Eastern. So probably won't get the main event. The Horaguchi fight, maybe you'll get some overlap, but I would guess you could avoid. I guess we'll see. Yeah. What's your level of interest in Bellator versus Ryzen 2? Like none. And that's it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And so Bellator people, if you're watching, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. It is your fault though because I don't know. Like there's combat sports schedule out there. You, you can just look at a calendar and know what you're going up against and be like, hey, this might not be the best weekend for us to pick to do this thing. 
because uh, on a normal weekend, I'd say that I'm pretty interested in this. Like, okay, yeah. Like, uh, certainly it would have been cooler for AJ McKee instead of Satoshi. Uh, but this fight is probably better because AJ McKee was going to trounce Patricky. That does. I mean, Satoshi probably beats Patricky, but AJ McKee is going to trounce him. Uh, but you get Kyoji fighting for a flyweight belt again, which is really, really fun. Um, Danny Sabs is, is getting after it against a double Magomed. That's always, you know, probably going to be maybe not fun, but interesting. Uh, and Koreshkov Larkin is like really a, a very good fight. So there are good matchups here that would normally draw my attention. I can't. There's. I have too much other stuff that I'm interested in that I'm hyper interested in. So it's just that I, I can only spread so thin. And so this one is extremely low on the totem pole of my care. I am hoping that I will be able to find a feed that I can watch at the airport on Sunday coming back from New York. And then that's what I will do. I will go to the airport early and I will watch this card. Uh, I will try to avoid spoilers as much as possible. But even if I see him, there are some good, some fun fights on here. I am the, the Horiguchi Tagashi fight's going to be sick. Even the, the Watanabe Veda Artiega is a good fight. Is, uh, isn't Sabs, this just on Showtime? I think I this know. is just on, I think this is just I, on Showtime. I think if you download the Showtime app, you can just watch this on your phone. Okay. So. Oh, I can watch it on Paramount Plus then, probably. And go, because I don't the think Paramount Plus Showtime. Yeah, yeah. I don't so know I that the Ryzen. Right? Yeah, you should be able to. I don't think okay. that the Ryzen part is on Showtime. I'm not a, no. don't quote me on that, but I think the Bellator part is just part of the Showtime thing. So you just watch that on your phone. Is it, are they going to air it live? I'm looking at it on Tapology and it says Showtime. I'm sure that Showtime is airing it live. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. I will definitely, I will watch. I will not watch live, but I will watch, I will watch on Sunday because I am intrigued. I think it is going to be a fun watch either way. So there you go. There's Saturday in a nutshell. Let's bring in Casey. Uh, we'll take 10, 15 minutes, take a couple questions if there are any. Hi. And then we'll get the hell out of here. What's I mean, up, Case? Casey just showing off the pipes. I mean, it's just not even fair. <laughs> You're hurting people's feelings without <laughs> sleeves, Casey. I am super excited about the Bellator Rising card. I love the fact that it's just one extremely long night of fights for me. Starting at the first fight for 291, then the watching both screens, and then as soon as that press conference is done for 291, focus all on on Rising card. And yeah, I think like I think the the so all these Showtime fights, the Bellator fights are at the beginning of the card, and then it becomes just a yeah. Rising card. And the rising yeah. card's fun too. Yeah, the rising card is fun. There's a zero yeah. percent chance I'll be watching that because well, that'll be like six a.m. my time or something. Yeah, yeah, you East Coasters. Yeah, that's a that's a bad yeah. news. But I think plus, I, I, plus there will be an intermission because there's always an intermission. So. Two intermissions. So, two, there's yeah. already two intermissions. That yeah. I will probably go to bed and then wake up at like nine, and it will still be finishing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the card. It's just. Yeah. I'm just uh, not going to be able to watch it live. For, There's for, no way. For, for American fans, sorry, for American fans, I get it. It's it's a hard it's a hard uh, it's hard to do. But uh, for Japanese fans, uh, I think it's fine. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, I I understand the, the scheduling. and that's fine. You definitely don't have to cater to to me. Like I totally yeah. get it. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, do do do. Um, <laughs> let's bring some questions up. Uh, 
Boxing question. Can we talk about the absurdity of Espinosa <laughs> talking about anyway jumping up only 13 pounds to fight Tank Davis? It's like asking Gervonta to fight the Spence Crawford winner. Yeah, boy, Steven Espinosa going full on promoter, huh? Trying to book this fight. Do you think this fight, do you think there's a chance this fight ever happens? I'm not going to say ever, but I think this fight happens anytime soon, Inoue versus Tank? No, I don't think it happens anyway soon. I will very lightly defend Espinoza here. Um, I understand the blowback that he has immediately gotten from combat sports fans. Um, to some extent, I'm kind of with him. I'm like, yes, I do believe that 13 pounds, particularly the lighter you go, the more that that's going to matter. But in a very similar vein, we're talking about like what's, what's what what was a uh, this was a super bantamweight bout or was it just a bantamweight fight for uh bantamweight. um yeah the against Fulton that was just bantamweight or was it super bantamweight I'm not 100 percent sure in the weight um I'm looking it up yeah I just it's which is is super, super bantamweight so it's well, that's 122 so you know realistically we were saying. DJ going up to 135, which we talk about. And like, it's not insignificant, but I do not, I I somewhat agree with him as like, mm -hmm. doesn't feel like that's an amount of weight that should be, that should preclude this fight from happening. Yes, it probably does give Tank a, a major advantage and you should factor that in should they fight. But uh, it's not like a th uh, 30 pounds, 30 pounds to me is like a, uh, Okay, that's probably a ridiculous thing. But if I just go into a gym and I'm going to put in some work with some dude, I'm going to be like, you're 12 pounds heavier than me? Don't think I can roll with you today or whatever. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, I do feel like we overrate weight a lot in combat sports, personally. I feel like in boxing, they're much more particular on like, well, I can't fight this weight class. It's two pounds heavier than a normal fight. They absolutely absolutely are. And that's why you have bantamweight and super bantamweight and the yeah. weight class is bounced on eight, like eight pounds or whatever. And y'all know me for years, I have been on the, I don't need that. Like I, I do understand the argument. I just sort of don't care to have 50 weight classes because we really need to delineate between eight pound groupings like if you're within 10 and 15 pounds of each other that can help we're talking very small margins at the very top of any sport are going to play factors but i don't think it's like wildly deterministic in a way that should make everybody be like that's insane he weighs 10 pounds more yeah and if you went into any gym they would probably be sparring partners because they are roughly near each other in size you know something that weighs a lot if, that could if, tune down this discussion tank, a little bit? A bag like of money. Bag like a big, oh, yeah. huge <laughs> bag of money. Also that. My thing, I always come down to, if if Inoue and Tank had beef on outside a bar, Inoue would not be like, whoa, buddy, you are simply too large for me to fist fight you right now. And that's sort of where I always come down. It's like, yeah, I get it. And you guys are really talking about like the meritocracy of sport. Okay. The same time, this is a fight. So like if they would fight in a bar, if they had beef, I'm not sure we should care that much about 13 pounds. That would be a sick fight in a bar. Javante. Should be dope. They just Dude, watching like, watching boxers get into fist fights in the wild is hilarious. Yeah, because <laughs> be like, people people do not see it coming. <laughs> Hands are so fast. Yeah, so fast. 
could be like uh, Rocky Tommy Gunn in Rocky Five, just right in the street, yeah. everyone just circling around him. Be fun. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I do think we probably won't get it because of the weight. But and I I get why people you know went at Espinosa, but I kind of agree with him. Yeah. Best walkout song between Derek Lewis, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier. My answer is Dustin Poirier. Easy. My answer is top Derek shot. Lewis. Easy. Top top shot, fat top pat. Drop, not not top close. Shot, pat. Yeah. I'm, I, a cla- I, I'm a classic guy, so I get it. I love James Brown, and I love what, what Poirier is doing. But the and like there was that whole like period of his thing was like pay you know paid in full or whatever. Uh, the fat fat pat and just the uh, everything about yeah. the Dude, where Derek yeah, Lewis that, is the from, who he is. Starts, yeah. It's. I think Derek Lewis has among the best walkouts in MMA history as a result. It's a good of that. one. It's definitely a good one. Also, shout out to Tony Ferguson too. I mean, I'm not a fan of that song, but it fits him. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. Tony Ferguson, runaway loser of these three, though. Let's <laughs> go. He would easily he will come up last in any grouping of these three. What does Gaethje walk out to? He doesn't really have a signature song, does he? Like, he's not. I like, can't. I can't think of what Gaethje walks out to. Nothing that jumps out at me. I wonder what. Gaethje probably why picks that. his walkout song the day he wakes up. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm kind of feeling this song today. Like he strikes yeah, me I, like. I'm always kind of. I wonder why that is. Like like some like legendary fighters, you don't really have like a legendary walkout song. Like I don't think of John Jones as like a certain song. Do do you, or does he change it all the time? So. Uh, well, John, he went to New York for a while. I always think of uh, he used to walk out to pose Angry Johnny, like at his beginning of his career, and of the many things that he has fucked up in his life, changing away from that walkout, I think, is the most egregious. Because if he had like a decade of coming out to Angry Johnny, it would be the most like because it's honestly a perfect walkout song for him. Like there are a couple of highlights on YouTube set to it that are unbelievable. And it's just like, yeah, you should have been doing this for a decade and it would be a legendary walkout. And instead he did the I'm from New York, whatever thing, and has yeah. mixed it up a little. God gave me style by 50 Cent was when he walked out to for Cyril Gone. I think he's walked out to that a few times. That's like part of the mix. It's a jam. Yeah, good songs, but uh, but it doesn't gotta, stick to him. It's not like it's not like the John. Get, like it's, it's just funny how some fighters just have that song and yeah, they just pick one. Other that fighters works. just don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're if you're gonna mix it up, I am longman of you should just pick one, or you should pick one that is specifically good for each opponent or situation. Like we talked about Lawler coming out to the last of the Mohican song, that works. That works. That works. Like that works. if you're gonna do something like that do that otherwise pick one and just roll with it because then fans can can get to know you from it over the years still i think the best honestly the best ever i still think as, as far as like perfect for the fighter ronda rousey's um bad reputation by it's Joe really Joe. good it just fits her perfect and just a great walk as long as the time i still just, think <laughs> i still think Wanderlei and Sandstorm, even oh, though it's that, that's dumb. Out there too. Yeah. It, it's dumb, but it's still it's just iconic. It's just yeah. It's just too. You can't, it's too you can't hear that song without thinking of Vanderlei. Yeah, exactly. Dude, when college football season comes around and like half the teams that play college football play Sandstorm at various points of time, every time I'm like, man, be a lot cooler if Vandy was coming out of that tunnel instead of <laughs> Vandy football team or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when, give, when, give, was Sandstorm always like a hit? 
with like just general sports, or did it be, did it kind of did it come I have over no from idea. MMA? It's John, it's I, it's Stadium Anthony for sure. Okay. It is. I don't, it's I don't a very remember it being a Stadium, stadium song, song until like semi recently. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't. Maybe I, I just ignored it until I started singing. Yeah, that one. All right. Oh, we didn't talk about this. This is kind of interesting. Elevation, let's talk about it. How much will it play a factor at UFC 291? So I I think there are certain fights that will play a factor. Like, I don't think the main event, play it plays much of a factor. I think if that fight sure. happens in Vegas or the street or even outside a bar, I feel like they're just going to do enough to each other where they would slow down anyways. So maybe like some effect, but I think if you did the same fight elsewhere, I think the remnants are going to be kind of the same. Like I think Wonderboy Pereira, it could affect Pereira, obviously. Like if Pereira does what you say he will do, Jed, and just take Wonderboy down and try to hold him down. Third round Pereira, I'm not very confident in. I think he kind of fades out a little bit. I think that altitude gets to him. I think there are certain guys on this car. I mean, obviously Derek Lewis, Marcus Rosario de Lima. If that fight gets out of the first round, it's going to be, I don't even know what to describe it as. The first but three minutes, buddy. Is there a certain, yeah. Is, is outside of that fight, is there a certain fight you think elevation could really play a factor? So uh, we talked about this a little on Novas Bard. I kind of think all in none, right? So, um, I mean, you just look at the last Utah card a lot of decisions. I think there were seven decisions of 12 fights and then the main event went to the fifth round and hearing Leon Edwards talk about it afterwards is like, yeah, I couldn't do anything and my body didn't work because of the elevation. Uh, so I think it would be foolish to suggest that elevation isn't going to play a factor in probably a lot of these fights. Um, on the one hand, the main event should be the one that it plays the least role in because these are the two dudes most economically equipped to prepare for this. They're super professional, been in the game a long time. At the same time, Leon Edwards is super professional and he almost died at elevation apparently. He just could, like, physically couldn't make his body work as, as he's told it afterwards. So I guess the main event gives me pause uh, in part because uh, – Apparently, from what I can tell, it seems like Poirier did not get there until this week, whereas Gaethje's been in Utah for some time, and during the rest of the time, he lives at Colorado at elevation. So there's absolutely a world where that is a a major advantage for Gaethje. I will, you know, gut instinct say Poirier is too much of a professional, but I would not bet my house on that one. Uh, I think the Pereira one you noted, super relevant just because we have seen his gas tank be a struggle. The other thing, though, that gas tank has largely been a struggle when he's doing weird capoeira jump spinning attacks. If he's just going to tackle Wonder Boy, it might not matter. So we'll see. Uh, the heavyweight fight, if it goes past three minutes, that fight's going 15. <laughs> um, it's going to be really bad. And I think then just every other fight on the undercard, these fighters are not prepared for it ever because it's they don't have the economic means to go to utah for two months ahead of a fight or whatever and that has changed the fate of titles c-level kane lost the heavyweight title because verdum went to mexico a month early like that's talking undercard fighters here miranda maverick might get real tired in six minutes and priscilla cashware can beat her so i've I would say that it is absolutely going to affect it, but it's like a knuckleball. Like you don't really know which way it's going to break. Casey, let me ask you this, and then Jed, I'll, I'll get your take on this. 
I think people, when we look at Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green, we expect some sadness, right? Do you feel like the elevation actually is an advantage for Tony Ferguson because of his gas tank, his cardio? Are you sure you didn't listen weirdness? to the best part this week? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't listened to any of it yet. I was. I already have it keyed up for uh, for my drive later on tonight for my uh, for my errands. So, do you think that this is an? Do you think being in Salt Lake City is an advantage for Tony Ferguson for this fight? I don't think it's going to go extremely well for him, but because it's here, that maybe. Maybe it will if he comes I, out with a crazy pace. A lot of times when I, talk, when I think of fighters, I think of fighters in two ways, like how they fight at 100% and how they fight at 25%. And like say someone like, someone like Conor McGregor, world beater at 100%. He can beat anyone in the world at full gas tank, but he only has a full gas tank for, I think, about 90 seconds. Now, someone like Tony Ferguson, I think, is still – in general, I, I think I'm kind of classic Tony. When he can at 25%, he is still unbelievably dangerous. So that's why I think at a tired, exhausted Tony has a better chance of beating a tired, exhausted Bobby Green, I guess. If you know what I'm saying. I think at 100%, I think Bobby Green wins this fight pretty easily. When they're both just beaten up and exhausted, I think Tony Ferguson has a, a, a significant advantage. So, um, yeah. But I, question for Judd. You said Tony's washed. If he loses this fight, I think there'll be six in a row. Six in a row. Six in a row. What was the, what was the record for most consecutive losses in the UFC? And still, I believe BJ. I believe BJ has, and I think it's eight. But let me eight. confirm that. Yeah, I know BJ. There, and there are a couple of people of, with. There are a couple of people with seven. Um, I think BJ took it with eight. He maybe has it with somebody else, but let me pull up BJ. Right Sam now. Alvio's up there too. BJ does have eight, seven in a row. BJ has seven in a row, um, and then a draw with John Fitch. Yeah, okay. um, but I, I think BJ, I think seven in a row is it. Maybe it's eight. But I mean, Tony Ferguson will be in elite company as far as losing consecutively in the UFC goes. Yeah. How do you see Bobby Green now at this point in his career? You said you, you're, you're pretty convinced Tony's washed. Is Bobby yes. Green washed? No, Bobby Green's not no. washed at all. His, so his um, last two losses, I don't, you, you don't you don't think of him. He's thirty six years old. He's got it. You know, it's very. High I don't reflexive. think he's at his best. Yeah, I don't. I'm not here to say Bobby Green's prime anymore, but he's beating the hell out of Drew Dober until Drew Dober just landed a really big shot, and mm-hmm. that can happen. And then it's hard to take a loss. Islam Makhachev beat yeah, him. Islam. Okay, well, well, it's okay. <laughs> um, I thought he was beating Jared. Gordon before the clash of heads thing happened very quick so you can't take like too much from that yeah i would say bobby green is not he's not at his peak certainly but i don't think he's washed and uh, it's hard to know when exactly tony got washed because part of it is he has lost to a string of exceedingly exceedingly great competition but it's not just who you lose to it's how you lose to him and he was so inert uh, against benil dariush and nate diaz who's nate diaz like that one, that fight sold me more than anything that he was washed. And I was pretty sure he was washed before then. Uh, and then Nate Diaz was just like, I know a lot of weird things, short notice, et cetera. He, he looks old. And the thing that really makes me not happy about this week, the embeddeds, Tony looks old, man. Tony looks that's yeah, he just looks old now old and i i said for years at the peak of his run i was like this can't last because oh, of the nice. way he trains like 
think about Tony Ferguson, all the stuff that people are like, oh, this is so cool. Like, look at him doing this insane thing where he rests 8,000 pounds on his neck and then does chin-ups or whatever. I always looked at that and was like, that's not sustainable. And he's probably going to really, really hurt himself one day. I don't really think that that helped him <laughs> any. And now he's 39 years old in a division where he can't be old in general. And he hasn't won in forever. And he, he just, he looks to me like BJ did at the end of his career run. And he will keep, he says the same stuff of like, I'm finally back. I'm doing it for me. I'm really excited. And the entire embedded series have looked at him and just been like, dude, you're not, that's not there. And I, I put it this way on, um, on no bets barred. I, I didn't do a deep dive. I can only think of one fighter off the top of my head who lost five in a row and then went on to have to get significant wins. There are other people who have lost a bunch and then got a win and then lost some more. And that win wasn't like super significant. The only guy I can think of who has done that is Andre Orlovsky, who was incredibly unique and it's at heavyweight. And Bobby Green is, is not the best, but he is still a significant win. Like if Tony Ferguson wins this, Bobby Green's still a top 25 lightweight probably, like yeah. in that conversation at least. So I just think he has no chance. Since 2020... He's one. He's five, four, and one. The losses are to Tiago Moises, who's probably like the seventeenth best lightweight in the world. Rafael Fiziev, who's a top ten lightweight. Islam Makhachev is the freaking champion, and Drew Dober is a fringe top fifteen lightweight. Yeah, was, top top twenty dude, and he was looking it's good. All top twenty. And the Jared Gordon, and the Jared Gordon fight was just ended weird. He didn't look good early, but Jared I thought he had found his rhythm by the time too. Jared. I thought I thought he had found his rhythm and was I was like, oh, he's about to win this fight. And then that happened and it was weird. And it's just like I don't know. Tony Ferguson is clearly not where he was athletically. And I think many people may have underrated how important athleticism was to Tony's particular brand of fighting. And I think he's about to get his ears boxed by Bobby Green. Though I will say the elevation is potentially a game changer. Bobby Green's always been very good. Like he's it's not like he get gassed out. But that is, a, as, as Casey pointed out, super big strength of Ferguson. So mm -hmm. if he can survive the first round, maybe Bobby Green tapers off a little bit and Tony can can get things going for old time's sake. Did you did you rewatch the Chandler Ferguson fight? Have you have you rewatched it? Yeah, yeah. What did, what did you? Like, Tony was winning fight, the first round. That he dropped Chandler like hard drop Chandler. Yeah, like, looked that, really that good. Fight, that fight still confuses me so much. Is like, like how much, like if Tony had won no, that, say he actually finished Chandler, like it's just, it's just amazing how much the kind of trajectory of both guys' careers change, and they're the same fighter. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. Dude, that's why I love this. That's one of the reasons I love this sport is because the margins are so small. Yeah, and like, and it's all insane. And you hear like it, this is a it's a trope in athletics in general, but like. You're, when you get old, it's not that you can't do it anymore. It's that you can't do it all the time anymore. You are as good as you were once, but not always as good as you once were. And like Tony Ferguson can still do Tony Ferguson things occasionally, but over 15 minutes against people who are not diminished, uh, you're rolling the dice. Every, every exchange is a dice roll, like every single one of them. <laughs> and eventually you – you're if if you're falling off then you start to lose the dice rolls and you lose enough of them and you lose and against a guy like michael chandler you could be winning all those dice rolls but you lose one and he punts you in the face and you're you're done bobby green is helpful in this regard and that bobby green is probably not going to one hitter quitter him but 
I think he's just going to lose a lot of dice rolls and lose the decision. Should the light heavyweight championship have been on the line? Love this question. Who knows when Yuri returns to the cage? What if the winner of serious injuries could be the first quarter of 2024 for vacant title fight? Which could happen anyways. If Connor, if Connor fights in December, and I'm not ruling it out because the UFC could just be like, screw you, Sada, like he's in. It's probably Seems when this like fight would happen anyways. Yeah. It's I mean, that's when the fight's gonna happen anyway. So I don't know. I mean I, they could have done it, but it's no giant rush, really. I if I think they should have done it. I think they just should have done it. Because why not? Why not? Why not? You, the UFC already established that their light heavyweight belt does not mean anything. They did it themselves. I am not the one who said it. They had, they were like, oh, shit, we need a title fight now. We're just going to have these two dudes fight for the belt. Let's go, Magabed. Let's go, Jan. Fight it up. Oh, you guys had a draw in a fight that we didn't like, and so we're in our feels about it, and we're going to immediately just pick two other dudes to fight for the belt. Let's go do this. They already devalued the title. They made the title useless and meaningless. It just so happens that there is a dude who is the best light heavyweight on earth right now, and he'll probably get to fight for the vacant belt. But they could have just as easily said YOLO. Just do it. And why not? It would have been fun. It would have been stupid. It would have been incredibly unique for Alex Pereira to have a chance to be a two-division champion and maybe suck at MMA. <laughs> like, he might still not be good, but he could have been a two-division champion. It would have been incredible, and I honestly don't see why they didn't do it. There's no real reason the winner of this could then fight Yuri in December for the belt, which probably is what happens anyway. So why not just make this for the belt since you stripped your champion or he vacated? Like, I have no idea why we didn't do this. None whatsoever. Because the UFC didn't want to pay. I don't... Jeez, they don't have to pay. They just say we're going to do it. It's not what are fighters going to stand up for themselves for the first time <laughs> in history? No. The only reason that they should not have done it is if is if both Jan and Pereira are like, I'm not going to fight five rounds. And they definitely wouldn't have said I'm not going to fight five rounds if a belt was on the line. They should have absolutely made this for the title. Yeah. Jan said that they had like brief discussions and then that was it. And Pereira said it was never brought to his attention. Yeah, why not? Like, this, I don't, I genuinely don't understand. Sure, there's no rush, but there was no rush to do it. And just, like, they just, they're just like, ah, we're mad that that fight went to a draw. So January, let's have a title fight. Like, why just do this one? We're mad that Jamal broke himself playing basketball. Brr. Like, just, it would have been way cooler, way cooler to do this. It would have been way cooler, but man, it it, it was still kind of bothered me. Prayer getting a title shot off zero wins, awesome. zero wins at two oh five. Come in, yeah. It was just it been odd, but I, I kind of for the funness factor. Yeah, I would, ja- I would Jan Blahovich could be a two time light heavyweight champion. Which if you told me that in. I don't know, 2018, that Jan Blachowicz is going to be a two. If the the day after Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje had the fight of the year in 2018, you were like, guess what? Jan Blachowicz, who later this year is going to get iced up by Tiago <laughs> Santos. That dude, that dude is going to be a two-time light heavyweight champion. I would have laughed in your friggin' face. And instead, <laughs> we could have lived in that world, guys. Yep, we could have. Well, you can hit. I, I think love, we're good. Unless we have one amazing question. So much. Ooh, 
uh, was her last? Let me see. Do I have anything amazing? Um, I love Yanni Blocko so much, guys. His career <laughs> is incredible to me. Last one. Is AK still vacationing and watching Fast and the Furious? Movies? AK was on, on to the next one. He's yeah, back. He's, he's back. He was on Tough he Hang, is, I believe, too. He wasn't is. he? He was on, yeah, he he was was on Tough, tough hang. hang. Yeah. Yeah, he came. Back. He came back. To, he came back for the worst episode too of the season. That's saying a lot. <laughs> that is saying a lot. <laughs> Haven't watched a second of that program, and I feel great about my choices. I got a feeling uh, you're going to be what? I have a feeling you might be watching this yeah, week. You might be on this week. Get ready. You're, you're, Get hold check, on to check. that tag rope and extend your hand because yeah, yeah. I think you might be no, tagged. No, nobody right. has brought this to my attention thus far, so we're trying to find the right moment. We'll see. <laughs> keep your, we'll see. Keep your ringer on, Jed. Keep your ringer on because Connor's traveling to Dallas Tuesday. I'm traveling to Dallas Tuesday. Someone's got to do it. I don't have to watch it to do tough hang. <laughs> I can absolutely do tough hang without watching that show. That'd <laughs> yeah, be great. You can just watch the fight. Yeah. Won't even watch that. I'll just do tough hang <laughs> blind and we'll see what happens. I'll just say, I'll speak, I'll speak generically, man. That was a fight. I'll be like Dana at post fight pressers. When someone asks him about an undercard fighter and he has no idea. What you're talking yeah. The, about. Yeah. Yeah. The like, kid's good. It's good. It's kid's kid's really good. It's just a really tough kid out there. You know, he showed how tough he is. Always comes to scrap. And uh, that's why we like him. You know, he's moving on to the semi-finals. Finals. He's moving moving on in the tournament. Um, well, you know, he's going to have an opportunity. If he keeps keeps performing like this, he, he could find himself the winner of the Ultimate Fighter and get that six-figure contract. See, I nailed it. No, I nailed it. it. Also, I do at least know from hearing y'all talk about it that Connor sucks as a coach and all of the uh, rookies that got greased. So I can just be like, I mean, that's that's what being a veteran fighter gets you out there. He he showed Not that experience. Them. That's why he was previously uh, in the UFC. So, oh, there's a rookie succeeded. Good for him. We say Austin rookie, Rico, baby. The 36 year old, the 36 year old rookie prospect. It's a prospect. Is he a heavyweight? Then he's definitely a prospect at 36. Yeah. Bantamweight, just he knocked out. Oh, Hunter he's a 36 year old Bantamweight? Why yeah. would you even put a 36 year old Bantamweight on that show? Come, you got to go. Okay. Rico's fought because Rico's a fun ass. Why would you just sign him then? Why would you put him on this show, a, pro, a show explicitly for prospects? He's 36. He's no, He's not a prospect. He has like at most two good years in this weight class. And that's even asking a lot. He beat the thirty-one year old Hunter Azure as the vet. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy ass knockout. Will Brooks yeah. didn't get a chance on the show, which is still uh, unbelievable. I honestly, I want this bit to go on forever because it's it tickles me that Will Brooks <laughs> is clearly deserving of another shot, and for no discernible reason. Like all he is doing is asking for it, and the UFC is just kind of like, nah. He's like, I will pay for no you. reason. For we're gonna no do an reason. ultimate. We're gonna do an ultimate fighter season, pitting former vets getting one last chance, and one of the weight classes just happens to be lightweight. And Will Brooks is just right there. And Michael like Chandler. And Michael Chandler. Streak. You but love Michael drama. Chandler Michael Chandler's right there. Yeah. The you like, I don't twice. understand how you don't put Michael. Oh, here I am, veteran Will Brooks being coached by Michael Chandler, dude. I beat <sighs> twice. Twice. Be, be unbelievable. <laughs> like, it's I don't I don't it's it's one of the best running bits uh, that the UFC has going right now and so as as unfortunate as it is for Will Brooks I'm kind of into it. 
Fair. All right. Hit the music. Let's get on out of here. Appreciate you back. Uh, we might. I don't know what BTL is going to look like next week. We're going to try to do something we've never, ever done before. So stay tuned for that. We'll let you know. But in the meantime, enjoy all the chaos this weekend. Preview show tomorrow. More 291 chatter throughout the week on MMAFighting.com. For Casey on the ones and twos. For Jed Mishu, I am Mike Tech. Back next week, the iconic voice of Edson takes you home. See you next time on Between the Lakes. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. Between the Lakes. An MMA Fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.